0: Hey there, welcome to Under the Bridge, a song-by-song deep dive into the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, Only
1: the deep cuts. We're not doing the the poser track.
0: We're not here for the casual fans. Uh, No, I kid, this is We've Been Had, a song-by-song walk through the songs of Uncle Tupelo. I am Keith Pilley.
1: And I'm Chad Cook.
0: And uh, today we're back after a long absence. Sorry about that. Um, Moving into the backstretch here, hitting the center of March 16th through 20th, 1992, which I am still just calling March. And I recognize that we whiffed badly by not releasing an episode on either March 16th or 20th.
1: That was, uh, in retrospect, that was a pretty easy uh, easy bar.
0: God, we could have been selling t-shirts. Um, the, the songs covered today are Atomic Power, Lily Shull, and Warfare. First, one thing I wanted to throw out... Um, this has very little to directly do with the podcast, but I have an EP out uh, in February. I Well, out, like in quotes. I have an EP posted on a website. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in February, I locked myself in a cabin in Wisconsin for a weekend and recorded six songs. And if you want to listen to those six songs, they are at theawesomeboys.com. Um, I don't know. I like it.
1: Yeah, it's very good. I I suggested that he lock himself in a cabin in Missouri. (laughs) I don't feel like that feedback was was received.
0: You know, that would have been that would have been a more authentic alt-country experience. Agreed. Yeah, I don't know. Anything else before we get into the songs?
1: No. No.
0: All right. Let's uh, let's kick off with Atomic Power. power uh for me this is another pantheon uncle tupelo song i think what, what, what do you think
1: for sure i mean i think it for me it it uh it's one of the great examples of the two of them harmonizing together yeah, yeah. i think there's some interesting parallels between the actual lubin brothers and <clears throat> and the uncle tupelo because they they both are excellent at harmonizing with one another,
0: but in a totally different way. Yeah, because like you know, the Lüben brothers are so tight, and like Uncle Tupelo harmonies, when they work well, are you know they're great, but they're they're kind of ragged. Like right. they're they're great in this like very loose, punky way.
1: They also both broke up sort of at the height of their stardom.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's kind of a lot of parallels there that I'd never really thought About that, so yeah, this is this is a Leuven Brothers song, and their version of it is great. It's a lot longer, I'm not entirely sure why Uncle Tupelo shaved a couple of verses off, but I, you know, like you can't really argue with the results.
1: Like, yeah, it's a great song. Um, I don't know if did you go back and listen to there's actually a Charlie Leuven album from
0: my grandfather calling from rural Missouri. Oh, he's he it's, heard. It's, He's has the house bugged? Yeah. Set that to okay. so Charlie Leuven album,
1: uh, 2007. Charlie Leuven uh recorded an album, uh, and Jeff Tweedy actually sings backup.
0: Oh, holy shit! On
1: the Atomic Power song. No, yeah, it's is really it? it's good. It's, I mean, I don't personally don't think it's as good as this song, but yeah. um, it, it is interesting.
0: Well, it's interesting. One of the things that's great about this is. And this is kind of hard. It's easy to miss this because the harmonies are so good and the just the lyrical content is so good. But this is another one where they've got, like, a pretty big arrangement going by, by March 16th through 20th standards. You know, like the, the regular three band, somebody's playing fiddle and Henneman is just kicking ass on the mandolin. And, you know, like, if you don't have all that extra stuff, you know, I, I don't know Charlie Leuven and Jeff Tweedy is a good combo, but there's a lot of Chrome for them to be missing there,
1: yeah, and uh, I feel like the NPR article from that that release uh, by a lady named Allison Stewart really really hit home for me, and this is the only part that I found interesting, but but really apt. she says Charlie Leuven is the latest in a line of country war horses who've seen their careers resurrected by well-meaning hipsters.
0: <laughs> you know, like
1: guilty as charged. Yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, like I was buying. You know, we were buying Johnny Cash records on American Recordings and Merle Haggard records on Anti. You know, like, they're they're talking about us.
1: Yeah, was, um, I mean, I, just, I felt like it was a fair criticism. Uh,
0: I maybe a little judgy you know I don't know
1: certainly for NPR it's a little judgy yeah I mean, shit that's like 90% of their list for babies
0: oh <laughs> uh, I don't know well I'm just gonna say like it's funny I want to get back to when you know you're talking about the parallel of the Lu- them and the Leuven brothers and that's I, it is like I had not caught even the bit about them breaking up at the height of their power but I don't know, it just it is interesting like that there's another example of like a great musical act that was entirely <sighs> it, fueled by internal tension. You know, and like I think the Leuven brothers amped it up a lot. You know, in, instead of Jay Farrar just being sullen, you've got Lyra Leuven smashing mandolins all the time.
1: Yeah, and I th- I think that's a that's an even harder dynamic because Uncle Tupelo, you you have issues of two people growing up together from junior high or high school, Uh, the Lubin brothers, it's their whole lives. Yeah.
0: Brothers. Yeah. Um, I'm sure anyone who's listening to this is aware of the show cocaine and rhinestones. If somehow you're not their or his episode on the Lubin brothers is fantastic and you learn a ton and um, you should go listen to it. And it's going to, you know, We'll be coming back to that again in in another song or two.
1: Yeah, I think the the thing I took from the from that podcast was just that they were they had sort of made it. They were playing regularly at the Grand Old Opry, and they had a number of hits. Uh, and they just couldn't, you know, like they just couldn't keep it together. Well, it would be I, I, Ira Levin was kind of a train wreck.
0: That is um, my impression.
1: But uh, and I think he died shortly after they broke up. Yeah, in a
0: car crash. Yeah. Well, so did you? I know for me, like I had, you know, I heard the Leuven brothers well after being acquainted to them by Uncle Tupelo. Uh, and I assume it was the same for you. And like, so what? What did you think when you went back to the source?
1: Yeah, so the weird thing is, I didn't go back to the source until probably ten years after I'd heard the Uncle Tupelo version. Uh, and probably same. I I heard I actually stumbled on it because I was like one of those I had got one of those like pre current internet lists of the best album covers of all time, <laughs> yeah. and they have the like the Satan is real That's great, uh, where they've got the like giant. Satan cutout and them in white suits. And I guess I, I did read online that in order to get the like fire and brimstone look, they soaked a bunch of tires and kerosene <laughs> and lit them on fire. The... I,
0: how do you not love that?
1: It's, it's a grand plan. It's
0: like if Sam Raimi was making Christian Country, yeah,
1: it's <laughs> it, it is though like a really powerful piece of imagery that. You know, in a time it was released in a in like the late fifties, I think, or maybe early sixties.
0: I'm not sure, yeah.
1: That you know this <laughs> you when know, you think about the contemporary album covers that were yeah. coming out at the time, and it's it's really provocative.
0: Did yeah. I ever show you the guitar that I saw for sale? It's like an acoustic guitar. Um, and the face of it is just Printed with the Satan Israel album <laughs>
1: cover. Why did you not buy this?
0: <laughs> uh, I should have. I should have.
1: It was between that and the Jeff Skunk Baxter guitar <laughs> that you have?
0: Uh, I, honestly, that is why I didn't buy it. Because nothing will top the Jeff Skunk Baxter it's, guitar. This is true. true. When you're riding with a skunk, you need nothing else. Mm-hmm. I, uh. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say just. I also. So I think. Oh, one other little bit of trivia about the song I think is interesting. I believe that a live version of this song is what made Peter Buck want to record them. Like like Peter Buck saw Uncle Tupelo play and they, they did Atomic Power and supposedly he's like, oh shit, wow, these guys are for real. I wonder if
1: he knew it was a cover.
0: He must have. I, I think Peter Buck's kind of archetypally like the record, yeah, record storehound.
1: That would make sense. You know,
0: but I uh, I just I think it's interesting too that there's this whole like subgenre of atomic bomb songs. Um you know a, a friend of mine actually has like a compilation like, this like three disc compilation of of nuclear war and atomic bomb songs. Uh you know I think this is the best of them, but uh there's there's another one uh Atom Bomb by the Blind Boys of Alabama that is
1: are they all really period pieces or is it any song like so, like Nuclear War on the Dance Floor? Does that count? Or no? <laughs> I don't
0: well, Okay, so for his compilation, I'm not sure. I think Nuclear War on the Dance Floor counts. If you know, if you're like, if you're just, if you want to curate a set list of like bomb songs, I think, you know, still going. We're still, I was still just curious
1: if he's he a purist, like it ends. It, it ends after the cold War, or? no, I
0: mean, this is like a thing he bought, like like some label compiled oh wow, yeah, um and it i I remember looking at the set the, the list of it, and like the Leuven Brothers version of this song is on there, but uh I don't remember if Uncle Tupelo's was, I think they were like one or the other, but I don't know it's just it's weird to me that like that's this thing that we grew up with is you know the this ever-present threat of being blown up and like it just keeps bubbling up and you know like it's not that everybody has a bomb song but you're never surprised to find that a given act has a bomb
1: song especially acts of a certain era right Yeah, like it was sort of just a pervasive thing from I guess from the end of World War II to now probably
0: yeah we're still in it well I talk a lot about you know, the town I grew up in is 20 miles north of Omaha and off at Air Force Base is on the southern fringe of Omaha. And that is the headquarters for US STRATCOM, it used to be Strategic Air Command headquarters. And like I was in third grade and would have, I remember my third grade teacher talking proudly about, you know, when the bombs fly. We're gonna be we're we're at the top of the target list because we're near SAC headquarters, and like you know this is this is the thing she's telling a room full of eight year olds to feel good about.
1: So the interesting like, thing is, and I think we've talked about this, they gave me the same spiel in Iowa because of the proximity to Rockwell Collins, uh, uh, which is 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 equally weird, <laughs> but also not true. <laughs> Like, there's no way that, this, that the Soviets are like, okay, let's make sure that we get all the major cities and this avionics maker <laughs> in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. <laughs> We're going to
0: fuck with their supply chain. Good. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was like, I never thought, so I always, I always thought that it was just like misplaced local pride. But now I wonder if there was actually some like, something just a touch more sinister, or not sinister, I don't know. Maybe there was a concerted effort to make everyone believe they were high on the target list just to make everyone less afraid somehow I don't know that probably not that's crazy, but it's, but it's weird that everyone heard that
1: it's but it's not a solvable problem right like I, it's like what are you what are you gonna do about it right you're no
0: yeah.
1: i don't at least I feel like yours was justified like. It's I possible know. the Strategic Air Command. That's probably a high-level target.
0: Okay, sure, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, okay, but being older and having been obsessed with this for a while, I, I, I can say with confidence there's nothing in the Soviet inventory that would have hit the south side of Omaha and taken Blair out in the, uh, in the blast. That's uh,
1: probably probably why the SAC headquarters is there.
0: Yeah. Well, to protect Blair, yeah. yeah. Well. <laughs> they wanted to put it in Blair, but they're like, no, no, guys. Dana College is here. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta
1: be. There's there's know. some alternative uh, alternative history that you can write where like Dana College is like a is like a deep subreddit of the <laughs> Department of Defense.
0: Might have been. Maybe that's why it got closed. They knew too much. <laughs> I uh, it's weird. I just this is a song that I have a lot of like memory associations with. So there's there's that whole thing. I also in 1998 when I was there's was this weird stretch where I was uh, so I, I was really like obsessed with nuclear war um, from growing up near off and uh, when Clinton launched cruise missiles at, I don't remember if it was in Sudan or, you know, it was one of those times when he was just like, fuck you. Or, yeah. Um, I, you know, I was all melodramatic and convinced like, oh, this is it. This is the start of World War Three. Um, and at the time I was living with my then ex-girlfriend because I haven't hadn't found, you know, we had broken up and I hadn't found a new place to live yet. And I just remember, you know, like, I come home from work and hear on the news that uh, we're launching cruise missiles. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is it. And I go home and just annoyed her by playing this song <laughs> on the acoustic guitar <laughs> over and over, like, singing it really mournfully, you know. <laughs> I just remember her, like, looking at me from the kitchen of that apartment, just being like, what the fuck are you doing?
1: It's good that you took that opportunity just to cement the, <laughs> cement the destruction of that yeah, of that relationship. Let's
0: let's spike this ball here. We are done. I don't know. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, thank you to Uncle Tupelo and the Luvin Brothers for giving me that moment.
1: It's but some of the imagery in this song is pretty is pretty impressive. Like if you like they couch it a little bit with the way that they sing it, but. Like, some of the, like, will you shout or will you cry when the fire rains from on high? Right. Like, it's pretty, it's like end of days.
0: Yeah, it's some dark, apocalyptic shit. It's funny, too, because I remember the first time I saw this album cover, I, you know, I just, I didn't know, I had no idea what the song was, and I saw just Atomic Power, and I was like, oh, that sounds, that must be like this optimistic, hopeful <laughs> song. It's
1: like the Chetsons.
0: Yeah, exactly. Nope
1: optimistic and hopeful it is not
0: but it is because there's a way to escape if you're prepared to meet the lord so that's okay i was going to bring this up later but really i can bring this up in any song it's interesting to me that all three songs that we are talking about these are all christian songs like these are all songs with an explicit (laughs) christian message and i don't know what to make of that i mean i don't think i don't know if there's anything to make
1: I remember thinking it was odd when I got this record,
0: yeah, uh,
1: because I was, you know, like I was firing up this like internal forge of Uncle Tupelo's super fandom, yeah, and you know, at first I listened to it, I'm like, man, there's a lot of God talk on this record, yeah, which kind of threw me for a loop, and then I read the liner notes and saw that most of them were covers, um, so I kind of wonder if if they liked, they just liked the songs and that's why they put them on there.
0: That's the way I always, so that's the thing I was thinking. Like, that's what I always read it as. Um, but I don't know, you know, I don't know if I, I don't know where I was ever actually getting that, you know, if there's anything really to that or.
1: Part of it is just probably maybe hopefulness on my part that that's what they were, that's what they were doing. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I guess like from, you know, having read Tweety's memoir, um, can safely say Jeff Tweedy is not any kind of like outgoingly forceful evangelical Christian. That is definitely Yet. not. <laughs> well, he's Jewish. He he converted to Judaism. Yeah, maybe it's temporary. Uh, uh, I guess. You know. Um, I don't actually know where Jay Farrar stands. Maybe Farrar is like a very Christian guy who wants to spread the word.
1: I think he's. I think he's just pretty tight-lipped with his. Your Jay Farrar is just one of those people that, like, unless you know him, I think yeah. you're you're gonna have to guess. Yeah. I don't know.
0: I guess that is what I got for this song. And
1: yeah, that, I think- and I think we touched on it, but you know, I just want to like. The, co- the the idea that Brian Henneman learned to play the mandolin for this
0: and is just
1: and then delivers just these series of amazing mandolin performances yes. is mind-blowing to me.
0: That guy is, yeah, I, that's one of the subplots of this podcast, I guess, is me going from thinking, yeah, Brian Henneman is a pretty good guitarist to me thinking, like, Brian Henneman is just this, like, god of stringed instruments who...
1: Yeah. And did you want to plug his uh his cruise that's upcoming? <laughs> that's
0: right. I did see on Instagram there's <laughs> the Bottle Rockets are doing another outlaw country cruise. Which I I'm glad that Brian Henneman gets to take a cruise.
1: Yeah, so as long as they're being there. fairly compensated, I guess I'm okay with it. I just And this is going to sound elitist and preachy, but the people that sign up for an outlaw country cruise, I feel like are just like, are going to be difficult to deal with. Yeah. But like I said, you got to pay the bills somehow.
0: That's right.
1: (laughs) I don't fault him for that. I I think he's uh, like just on this, his work on this album alone and, uh, you know, like the Brooklyn side. Like I feel like his... The uh, man has earned five or six yeah.
0: lifetime passes at this point. As long as he's not, like, campaigning for Donald Trump, he's, he's fine in my books no matter what.
1: I would guess that's unlikely, just <laughs> based on, you know, what I've... based on the songs that he's written. But you never know. Yeah,
0: well, I, I guess anyone who, like, went out of their way to call Rush Limbaugh the angry fat man on the radio in a song, like, you can guess what... It, guess where his heart is i don't
1: think you can write a song like wave that flag and it you know like you know, like that that's a pretty cutting commentary that's
0: a great song this is a great song god that listen to the bottle rackets if you don't if you take one thing away from this go right now and check out if you haven't the bottle rackets first album just called the bottle rackets and then the brooklyn side and like if you like Uncle Tupelo,
1: yeah, I mean those two for sure. Uh, the next one is is good too. Yeah. After that, it gets a little dicey.
0: There's always at least one gem per song, or per album. Um should we wrap yeah. up? <laughs> We're kind of far afield. We'll be back. Mm-hmm. we are back with uh, with Lily Schull. It's murder ballad time. That's
1: right, let's, let's murder ballad it up.
0: So, uh, yeah, like I said, that that Cocaine and Rhinestones episode about the Leuven brothers also has a pretty good detail or derail some d word into the backstory of murder ballads. <laughs> and uh, yeah, listen to that show. It's a good show.
1: That's a great show. It's, it, and, and I mean, I know that. Tyler Mahan Co. is never going to listen to this, so I feel like I can say this. I feel like Cocaine and Rhinestones was a really, really good podcast. His Your Band Sucks is sort of hit or miss.
0: Yeah, I... Yes, I agree. Um, So, Yes.
1: Just my opinion. One man's opinion.
0: One thousand percent, yes. I may have entered a state of beef over that. <laughs> um, anyway, so I don't know murder ballads in general and this song in particular. Uh, this song reminds me a lot of Johnny Cash's "Delia's Gone," uh, which is another song that, like, I I actually I love that song, but this the actual story in that song and in this one, I think, are just repugnant, actually. Uh, this song, I hate the narrative of this song. And I'd, I'd been kind of aware of it before. And, you know, like when I sat down and listened to it for this, like I actually like I lost sleep being mad about the narrative of this song. You know, because the narrator has done just all these terrible things. He, you know, he killed this woman, burned her body all the time. He was married to someone else um, with a kid. Uh, you know, he, the song is him, like, listing these terrible things that he's done, but he repents. And then Jesus appears at the end of the song and tells him it's okay. And all of this is way more important than anything that happened to, to Lily Shull, the woman he killed and burned. Uh,
1: ah! Yes, yeah, so I had a, a slightly more procedural beef with okay. the... So, like, the actual, like, Library of Congress version of this song mm-hmm. is labeled... The ballad of Finley Preston. The, oh the murderer. Oh. Which if nothing else, can we can we at least recognize that the, the victim is the person who was murdered? Like, yes. So props to Uncle Tupelo for, huh? and whoever else, uh, whoever else was recorded it under the title Lily Shull. I'm
0: mean, gonna guess that just from what I know, you know, I don't remember which of the two compilations this is from, but I'm pretty sure that it must've appeared as Lily shell there too.
1: Yeah. So props to whoever did that for actually recognizing the victim in this situation yeah. and, and not the you know murderer.
0: But I think it speaks, you know, I, I think I said this before when we've talked about the song, but it speaks really well of Jay Farrar that, and I think this was after conversations with his wife. I think I read somewhere that you know he eventually with sunvolt was like wait a minute it is kind of bullshit that like we put the narrator front and center and so you know he recorded wrote and recorded the sunvolt song from her point of view where and and the, the first line of that is him saying talking about her he is her voice her voice has been silenced again like great jay Farrar i'm really impressed and glad that you did that um the cultural tradition that this song exists in is so just weird and not great.
1: Yeah, it's it's a little bit like, you know, history history is recorded by the victors type of. Uh-huh. I mean, obviously this guy wasn't a victor since he he was hanged for his crime, but but it it just it is weird that the song is from his perspective. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, he was kind of a victor though, because the whole po- like the thing I realized that I had never you know listening to this for twenty five years I never caught until a couple days ago that there's this song is a more than almost any other Uncle Tupelo song. This is a self-contained short story with a narrative arc, and the narrative arc is he's about to be hanged. He did this thing. He's we're in the stream of consciousness as he as he's about to be hanged. He is scared. He repents, and then the end of the song is Jesus whispering to him and saying, "Like, okay, no, it's okay. My grace is enough for you." So he he wins. He he said the magic words in time, and he's you know he's gonna be all right.
1: I, yeah, I've, I feel like his history is is gonna is gonna keep score a little differently than that, but it... yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's wishful thinking on my part.
0: <sighs> well, I don't know. This is... I, what is it about murder ballads? Why do people... Why is there such this thirst for... it? It's always like, dude killed a woman. Yeah, I think, about I
1: think it's just crimes of passion. Like, people are intrigued by that. Like, whatever it is that sets people to do things they wouldn't normally do.
0: <laughs> yeah. The structure of this reminds me a lot. So there's this thing in the 50s, the 40s and 50s, where there are these, like, super, super popular crime comics, um, you know, about gangsters. And they'd they'd have titles like, Crime Does Not Pay. But the front cover of the comic, it would be like, Crime in 150 points and then Does Not Pay in 14 (laughs) points. Uh, You know, and, like, it's always, like, stories would be, like, a 10-page story where nine pages is like, dude doing crimes and being awesome. And then they'd have to have a 10th page of, you know, and then he gets his comeuppance. But, you know, like, like people seem to want to read or hear about people doing awful things. And then, like, society, you know, the social contract makes us feel like, and we have to acknowledge that that's not good, so they suffered bad consequences. But it's just creepy how, the, and you see that, you know, with, with movies, like people, people embrace the Godfather and Scarface, um, you know, movies that have embedded in them this message that like, if you do these things, bad things happen to you and bad things happen to your soul. You know, but people just watch them for like, yeah, man, fucking crime. <laughs>
1: I hope people are actually doing that with the rock and roll horns that you can't see. That
0: Every time I watch The Godfather, I look at whoever I'm watching it with and say, yeah, man, fucking crime, and make the metal horns.
1: I I hope that's the case. I, I really do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. Fucking
1: crime. Fucking crime. It's like you're part of the insane clown posse. and. Except you've, you've adapted it just to be about crime. <laughs> I think, I think there's always been a fascination with true crime. Yeah. I mean, think of like the Black Dahlia murder, like right. all the like serial publications that came out after that.
0: Or th- this entire like podcast universe now of true crime stories. Right? Like,
1: yeah. Uh, 90% of which my wife has listened to. <laughs>
0: Does she have a favorite of the, among the true crime shows?
1: I, you know, I don't know. I I just, it's like one horrific set of circumstances after another.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of crime. Yeah. true. it's
1: a lot of punishing. It's like the old Testament.
0: Yes. (laughs) See Christianity. It's all over the South.
1: Pervasive.
0: But yeah, so I don't know. I mean like, okay. So I, I don't like that this is a narrative about the redemption of a guy who did shitty things and had the right thoughts at the end of his life. But I do like that.
1: The very end of yeah, his life. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> like, let's be clear on this. This is like, this is like the limit function of his life. Like, you know. Yeah.
0: So, okay. Did you see the ballad of Buster Scruggs? Uh-uh. Oh man. Okay. It's, it's hit or miss. Like, you know, so it's, it's anthology. It's like six stories. Some are good. Some aren't good one of them it's not one of them is not the best thing but is pretty funny it's almost a parody of this trope where it's uh franco is a criminal and does a bunch of things and ends up being hanged and the last thing he does is pay off this really stupid joke that was set up (laughs) and like i never thought of it but in, in a way it's like it's kind of a travesty of what's going on in this song
1: yeah, it's. I mean, it, it. It's a little without getting overly political. It, it's a little weird to me that how easily people wash away a lot of a, a lot of shitty stuff with just a really like, oh shit, my life is gonna end. I better repent. Moment. Yeah, like you know, yeah. at, at some level, it, it probably should be about you know what you did. Yeah. And
0: <laughs> not what magic words you said. Right. Right. As the clock ran down. <sighs> well,
1: I feel like this. I feel like these three songs have, have taken us to a dark place for.
0: It's dark. It is. Yeah. I mean, come on. We got nuclear annihilation. We right. got Murder and execution.
1: And then we close it out on the uplifting Warfare
0: silly song like we'll get to that yeah. like, it, it, it's kind of weirdly um so this song one thing coming back to this one like I would never sit down and listen to this for fun but actually I did think it was kind of rewarding to just kind of wrestle with it to prep for the show it, it is kind of an amazing thing where it you know like I don't like the narrative but it's cool that it has a narrative within it and it's a really effective mood piece you know like just the music really slowly builds and really tells the story um i i don't know that jay farrar sings any other song in the uncle tupelo catalog the way he sings this one he's he's just kind of restrained and slack in a way that he isn't usually and it's it's really affecting it's a good use of his voice
1: he he has a great voice for murder ballads (laughs) he really
0: does the man was born to sing about murder
1: it, uh, I don't know. I, it, 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 it's just strange to me when you when you hear Jay Farrar's voice. Like he's just one of those people who can, who could sing, on his own. Like he could just be a a cappella. Like I think we talked about it when we talked about the "I Wish My Baby Was Born" the Dillard Chandler version, where like he recorded it a cappella, no. Yeah. You know, no backing band or anything. And I feel like Jay Farrar has that in him if he wanted to if he wanted to explore that.
0: Isn't that functionally Sunvolt now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. Shots fired. They are playing their instruments. It's the...
0: I, I just you know, you diss the Boquists, you uh anyone trying to replace the Boquists
1: is dead to me. <laughs> the, Except that, except that he replaced the Boquist like ten years ago. I know. I I hold grudges.
0: I am a grudge holder.
1: There are now more Sunvolt non-Boquist albums than there are Boquist albums. You've entered the the uh, the Van Halen conundrum.
0: I hold grudges with Van Halen too. So you're just you're you're serving up meat and potatoes to me. This is where I live. Um,
1: you're you're still Team Hagar, right?
0: I'm I'm team they both I'm team anti-Sharon.
1: <laughs> it's an interesting space to I, live.
0: I, I I like both the Vans Halen. <laughs>
1: Vans, comma Halen.
0: Exactly. <laughs> uh, so getting back to this song, I uh so I had always I would have sworn, before going back and listening to this, I would have sworn that this is another solo acoustic thing. And it's nuts to go back and listen closely. And, like, there's a full band arrangement here. Like, maybe the most full on the album. Because there's there's a piano going. There's two slide guitars. I couldn't remember that Hydorn's playing drums on this, but he is. It's just nuts how much discipline everyone is showing, you know, for a song that's so spare. And there's at least five, maybe six guys in a room with instruments, and there's so much space.
1: Takes a lot of restraint, to, yeah. uh, to put something like that together.
0: I, you know, and it. You wouldn't expect Peter Buck to be the producer that can like impose that kind of discipline, but the results speak for themselves.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard for me to judge Peter Buck because you know, like I feel like he's he's a driving force. In R.E.M., but not the driving force in R.E.M., if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like, I think maybe this is... Maybe he prefers this kind of, like, stripped-down sort of approach.
0: I just... I know that my my opinion of his production abilities has just skyrocketed through this. You know, I, I just like paying close attention to this album and... What yeah, I, like like little choices that they made that have huge implications. I, I I don't know. Like, hats off to Peter Buck. Is what
1: I'm, I'm sure he's waiting for R. Like that's that's yeah. the crowning achievement in his career. He's waiting for our approval. These two random dudes from Minneapolis have signed off. I,
0: I'll hit post on this and he will be oh thank God oh
1: yeah sweating that one for my mansion. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I don't know. Um, Lily Shull.
1: Sad yeah, song. sad song. Uh, really really, really thought-provoking, I feel like. oh uh-huh. uh, But not a song where I'm like, you know what? It's Tuesday afternoon. I'm going to throw on some Lily Shull and oh, just yeah. chill out.
0: It's Shull time. It's yeah. interesting,
1: though. I don't take that approach with Johnny Cash. Like, like you know, like I don't. I don't hold him to that same standard. Like, a lot of his music is about, like, truly terrible events.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting thing where, like, he, you know, I mean, the the natural point of comparison is Delia's gone, and that's that's way more upbeat, you know, it just, I think the tempo is faster, it's just snappier. Um, Fulsome Prison Blues, sure, he shoots a man in Reno to watch him die, but, like, he's you know, I, he's got this like machine behind him that's like boom, chicka boom, chicka boom, like yeah. rocking it out. And I, you know, I guess it's kind of interesting. Like, this song is arranged to make you feel the weight of what happened way more interestingly.
1: Yeah, I'm just, I'm worried now that I'm not gonna be able to listen to Johnny Cash. That's fine.
0: I, so one of the most, one of my favorite, like, weird cultural things was from the somewhere in the 2000s Johnny Cash did some interview defending Eminem Um, interesting yeah well because you know he was like Eminem's getting a raw deal everyone's after Eminem for like rapping about crime but I sang about crime and nobody you know nobody came after me I never actually shot a man in Reno just to watch him die I just thought it would be an interesting thing to sing about um so go listen to some Eminem. <laughs> That's where I'm going with this.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's probably not wrong, uh, but I, I think this is perhaps my perception clouding things. I think Eminem brings a lot of that on himself, with just his personality. Mm-hmm. and but, yeah.
0: It was a good marketing shtick yeah. at the time, yeah.
1: maybe. Well, he's, he, I mean, Johnny Cash is a dark... A lot of dark music.
0: Yeah, uh, the man burned down a national forest and right? killed yeah. a bunch. You know, a lot of darkness there.
1: This, yeah, this is, there's some shit to process there.
0: <laughs> yes. Anything else on Lily show Or should no, we go process?
1: I'm ready for warfare. All
0: right, let's take a break and come back.
1: I wrote WARFARE all caps just to <laughs> just to set the mood.
0: I, do you think that, so, I mean, I know that, like, all three songs that we talked tonight are Christian songs and songs that they didn't write. But do you think they were intentionally fucking with us, like, having this, like, kind of light, silly song called WARFARE after these two pretty heavy songs?
1: Maybe. I mean, I I actually, when I listen to it, I think it sounds a lot like the, uh, like Billy Bragg and Wilco Mermaid Avenue. It does.
0: You're totally right.
1: So I I feel like it's that kind of, and maybe it's a precursor to what it sounds like when they put their music to other people's songs. Yeah. But that's the vibe I got, was that it's...
0: That's a good pull.
1: it's, It's similar to that. Also pleased that... We got shout outs to a bunch of different religions.
0: To a bunch of different sects. Sects. Yeah,
1: sorry. Sorry. Except, so, you know, like it's about time that we started differentiating between Presbyterians and Methodists. Those
0: good old praying Baptists.
1: Which, <laughs> which I, I will I will concede I am not a detailed religious scholar, but I can't imagine the diff the that there's a ton of meaningful differentiation between all of these different groups.
0: Not that I've ever understood. So it's funny, like offline, we were talking about video games. Um, I've been playing a lot of civilization six lately. And like, Civ six has this weird thing where like religion is a big part of the game, but like none of the religions actually mean anything. It's just, you're converting the world to, you know, this amorphous thing. Um and I think it's funny that in that game it distinguishes between Yeah you know, so it has like Buddhism is a religion you can convert the world to and it has Taoism and it has Judaism it has Catholicism and Protestantism as separate religions and like I to me like outside of Christianity it's just the, the different shadings within Christianity are I don't know. It does make sense to me.
1: Is what so I'm this out. is I've never played Civilization Six, but this is a stupid question, but isn't trying to convert a bunch of people to Buddhism sort of anathema to Buddhism?
0: Well but but Buddhism in like like yes. But in the and and, and I think Judaism works the same way. But it within the game, like None of it means anything. So, like, I always just... You also have the option to make up your own religion. So, I always found crab worship. <laughs> Cangrejismo. And I try to win... Just but...
1: crabs or, like, all crustaceans?
0: Uh, just, just crabs. Okay. The holy crabs.
1: It seems, um, it seems a little... Spain, Spain always... A little all... elitist.
0: But... Hey. Fuck you. God has spoken. <laughs> Congregismo. Oh, <laughs> man. Anyway. Yeah, Warfare. I, I mean, like, so this is the kind of song that you do just like, like, there's nothing here. So it's easy to deflect off into talking about video games. Like, to me, this song is is fun. Like, I've always thought it was a fun song, but it's really light. And, like, in my head, this is the song that, like, cemented in my head that Jeff Tweedy was the junior partner in this relationship.
1: I think he would admit that, that he was the junior partner in the relationship.
0: Yeah, I think. You know, and like, and, and I walks that back a little bit. But like, you hear this, and you're just like, well, okay. He's he's the silly one. He's the one.
1: Yeah, it, it just, it, it harkens back to like the Christ for president. Oh,
0: uh, which is a great song. That is a
1: great song. That is a great song. And, I mean, written by Woody Guthrie. And it, the interesting thing about that one is, and you know, this was a song that they that they adapted, but huh. you know, like Christ for president was just a, just a list of lyrics.
0: Yeah. God, that's a good song. That's... Yeah.
1: Really good song. I have no, no argument here.
0: Uh, no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to sit and make exclamatory noises about how great that song is.
1: But I think the structure is similar, right? Like it, it's got that same sort of
0: kind of shuffly, strut. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I, it's interesting. And maybe this, maybe this is the same thing here. I was struck listening to this now. Like Jeff Tweedy is just barely singing this in tune. You know, he is. He wanders in and out of key a lot, and that's kind of going on in "Christ for President" too. But he, you know, it sounds more intentional there.
1: Yeah, I, I just I think he's not that disciplined of a singer. At like least he, back then. At the least back then, yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that you you really realize is how much how much Tweety has improved. Yes, uh, as a function of time, and you know, like Jay Ferraro's kind of steady state. Right? He's started at a very high level and has continued at that level.
0: I, I think he's maybe evaporated a little. You know, some of the some of the skills have sublimed off there. I uh, I don't know. Uh, musically, this is a weird song. It I. It it's this thing where in the chords they're hitting both C and C minor, um, and you don't you just don't come across that very often in rock or country. And I was trying to think of other songs where that happens, and like uh, the most prominent one I can think of is "Nobody Does It Better," the the Carly Simon Bond theme.
1: I've also I've seen you perform that song I've in karaoke.
0: Murdered that, yes. It's hard to sing because it does the you know major and minor in the same song.
1: So by murder you mean like rule, right?
0: That is not what I mean. Um, Jayhawks waiting for the sun also does the major minor thing. It's I, it's a weird thing. Most That's people a, don't do
1: it. It's uh, it's the quintessential hard look to pull off.
0: Yeah. I guess it's kind of a flex. Like I can I can make a song work with this weird shit. Um. I don't know. It's I, I had never realized also that this is a song where they've got a full band arrangement. I, again, I always thought this was just one guy with an acoustic, but you listen and everybody's playing. There's at least two acoustic guitars. There's a bass. Poor Mike Hydorn is stuck playing a tambourine. <laughs>
1: you know, this Maybe is... he enjoys playing the tambourine. Maybe. I, uh, I, I think if you would have asked me before this, we listened to this record, like I would have said, now, I feel like this is just a series of vignettes by individual performers, but yeah. it's it's really more intentional than that,
0: yeah, so what do you think is the intention here?
1: I mean, I think the intention is not to overwhelm the the lead singer like it's to <laughs> you no know, it's to be in the background,
0: yeah yeah, I'd agree with that. I, the sequencing is is interesting too because it's you know it's after these two like intense heavy songs and like I I don't know I guess I'm operating from this position that the song is ridiculous. Do you think it's ridiculous or is that <laughs> just me? No, no, you're, that,
1: you're you're correct. It, uh, I think they just they wanted something that like tempo wise wasn't a downer. Yeah, and. That's what they did.
0: This is just like a soap bubble of a song i
1: it, it, I guess I didn't go back and listen to that. I should have gone back and listened to the other versions of the song if they're as like sing songy i
0: I think so
1: yeah maybe that's what they liked about it. I
0: know uh, I don't know. it's uh. It just, I always, I always got a kick, you know, we talked about with Atomic Power, there's like this, at least for me, there was this tension between like, you see the title and you think, oh, that sounds optimistic. And then like, the song is not. And this song sounds, you know, like warfare, but like, it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's,
1: (laughs) it, it does sort of oversell the, oversell the content a little bit.
0: Yeah. I don't know. It's. I it's not like this isn't a song that you would include as like the Uncle Tupelo case for greatness, but I'm glad it's on the album. It makes the album more fun to listen to.
1: Yeah, I think there's just too many, you know, like you get too many downers and it turns into a Tom Waits album. or a Leonard Cohen album with a bigger band, I guess. But yeah, you can only have so much misery, Keith. (laughs) Well,
0: there's the album or the episode title for you. makes it easy yeah but i agree like uh, and that i wonder if that was like that's kind of a musical lesson honestly like i feel like that was a thing that tweety at least internalized like you can only ladle so much negativity onto people on one album and have it still be a good album
1: he does a much better job of that jay Ferrar will just hit you with a hammer like he'll like I think left to his own devices he would record <laughs> you know, all downers.
0: Yes. But, uh I don't know. I uh, I mean this is this is another song where like I feel bad for not having more to say, but there's not much to yes, talk about. Not,
1: there's not a lot there.
0: I can't remember now. Our so what are all the sects that they talk about? Do they, they're all Protestants, right? Yeah,
1: Presbyterians, Methodists, and Baptists. So the
0: Catholicism just doesn't
1: exist. It does not exist. Well, I mean the, the Bapt so it's interesting how they how they describe the different levels of holiness. Uh because the Presbyterians just get the Presbyterians too. <laughs> yeah. Um the Methodists get those good old shouting Methodists. And the Baptists get those praying Methodists. Praying Baptists, sorry. Praying Baptists. Which are... I mean, I, I don't know anything about them. Enough about the three of them to... But God bless the Presbyterians too seems like kind of an afterthought.
0: Yeah. Hey, but at least, they, at least they're acknowledged. I don't know. The theology of this song is, is incomplete. We'll leave it at that.
1: I mean, maybe it's maybe they didn't want to name-check any uh, Catholicism. I don't know.
0: I uh, So that's a thing I don't know much about. Like, I assume this song, all the songs they're covering, seem to be from the early part of the 20th century. I do think there's probably something interesting there where, like, Catholicism was in a different cultural space then you know like i i don't know that they were i don't know that you'd say like catholics were an oppressed minority but i think there was like kind of a protestant power structure that catholics were outside of you know and you get that thing where like especially in the south right yeah you know like like it's bizarre now that people talked about jfk being catholic and like can we elect him but like there was a cultural space where that existed yeah
1: Was he going to take his marching orders from the Pope? Yeah.
0: And like, so maybe some of that weird cultural space is reflected in the choices of what's in this song, but maybe we are putting, maybe I'm trying to project more interesting depth onto it. I'm
1: sure there's something there. Like, I mean, maybe it's just a current, like it, it just does Catholics don't even register on the radar of,
0: it's kind of the the religious equivalent of the bar and the Blues Brothers that plays both kinds of music, country and western.
1: Right. It draws very like yeah, as long as you're as long as you're a Protestant within these three denominations, we're, you're good. We're good.
0: It's, uh, I don't know. I
1: don't know. I I am disappointed. Not for any personal allegiance, but that Unitarian Universalists didn't get their <laughs> say just because I like that name.
0: It's a great name. They had uh, their one of my favorite dumb Simpsons jokes was uh, it's... there's like some Simpsons thing where they are Reverend Lovejoy is hosting an ice cream social about the religions. And his Unitarian Universalist bucket is just empty. And someone's like, there's nothing there. And he's like, I know. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. Like that, It's such a bizarre thing that some Simpson writer was like, we need to put a savage burn on the Universal Unitarians.
1: I don't know. Yeah. Mm.
0: But yeah. Uh, Should we... Yeah,
1: I think think we should call it... Take
0: this out behind the barn. uh, Well, (laughs) thank you very much for uh, listening to We've Been Had. I am Keith. You can find me on Twitter, at Keith Pilly.
1: I'm Chad Cook, at Cook6252 on Twitter.
0: What does... So, 6252. Yeah. What's...
1: So, this is the worst story ever. Uh, This is a random series of numbers that was assigned to me. When I got a Gmail account, and I've just cons- i have just continued it throughout my life. Excellent. I feel like the universe was trying to tell me that this was uh, this was the number sequence that should be attached.
0: Someday that number sequence will save your life. Right? Like, oh fuck! This makes yeah. sense. Um, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you can tell Chad why six two five two matters, um, or he. <laughs> Anything within the show you liked or didn't like? It's uh,
1: more than fifty one fifty. To bring it back to Van Halen,
0: I—that's
1: what I it should—I should have been fifty.
0: Fifty one fifty is fifty one like, fifty two. Oh shit! It's it's too bad. Um, <laughs> if you dug the show, please tell people about it. Go to iTunes or Google Google Play. Leave a review. Um, thanks, and we'll talk to you soon. I promise the next one that will close out the regular album of March sixteenth to twentieth. It's going to be sooner than this one was. We're we're not descending into George R R Martindom here.
1: <laughs> Neither of us have that much going on.
0: That is right. Uh, right on. Peace out. Um,